Welcome to Whores Talk Horror. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Horse Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. I'm Melinda. And this is part two of our 2019 horror movie roundup. And guess what? We recorded this all on the same day. <laughs> so... Sort of. Yeah, we don't know what order... We, we're not sure of how this is going to be edited yet, but... Uh, so this transition might be a little bit awkward. <laughs> but we're pretty awkward in general, so I think if you listen to this show, you're like, what else is new? So let's just get started. What Mindy do you want to talk about? What Mindy? <laughs> like we said, it's a what little Mindy, rough around the edges. What Mindy do you want to talk about first, movie? <laughs> So, Mindy, what do you want to talk about next? I'm going to get it out of the way so we can get it over with, but I watched a movie called Tone Deaf, <laughs> and I honestly think that this is the most ironically appropriately titled movie ever. Like, it's billed as a horror movie comedy, and I guess I can see what they were trying to do, but, like, saying that they missed the mark is putting it lightly. Um, the synopsis, in air quotes, from IMDb. A woman goes to the countryside to spend a quiet weekend after losing her job and having her last complicated relationship implode. Uh, Robert Patrick, he of the T-1000 fame from Terminator 2, is the, quote, old-fashioned widower in question, uh, and he rents his house to Olive, who's played by Amanda Crew, who I hope hasn't quit her day job on Silicon Valley. Right from the start, the two generations clash when Robert Patrick asks for $60 more than the agreed-upon price as a security deposit. Olive asks if she can Venmo him, and he looks at her scornfully and says, Venmo? <laughs> um, Old this is, people. <laughs> that's literally what this movie is. Is It's, I think, trying to be a funny commentary on, like, generations. But I'll save you 90 minutes with this interaction. And this is obviously paraphrasing. But um, occasionally, Robert Patrick would just break the fourth wall and start this random monologue. So here's an example of basically what those monologues would be. Those millennials are spoiled and they don't know the meaning of hard work while I walk for miles in the snow with no boots to and from school only to come home and run my dad's farm and then pass out from exhaustion before doing it all again the next day. But at least I know the value of hard work. And then Olive, fucking baby boomers, I'm touching stupid. Maybe Google how to be a good host next time, but you're getting a bad review from me and that means something. <laughs> Like I'm kind awful. of paraphrasing here, but honestly, there's a moment where where Amanda Crew looks directly into the camera and utters "fucking boomers." <laughs> um, the only saving grace to this movie is that Ray Wise shows up for about 15 minutes <gasps> as Olive's dead dad. Oh, I didn't know he was in it. Uh huh. I know, but it's only during an acid-induced trip scene because Olive is in the country and she's bored, and so she bought acid from one of the locals because. Honestly, it doesn't even fucking matter why. The film's title is also literal, as Olive has always been an aspiring pianist, and it's a an ongoing joke in the film that she never made it. The problem is, when you tell a joke, you want folks to laugh with you, not at you. The same can be said about this entire movie, except that none of the jokes were funny. Robert Patrick, my friend, you can do much fucking better. You were the T-1000 and you were on the X-Files for God's sake. Everybody, sorry, skip it. Thank you. Thank you for taking one for the team, Mindy. Because yeah, actually, um, <laughs> I was thinking about watching this movie, but I'm, ugh, I'm so glad I did not. Yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> and it had really bad reviews, but I don't always listen to the reviews. But thank you for confirming that it is not a good movie. The next movie I'm going to talk about is Piercing, and it is uh, based on the 1994 classic Japanese novel Piercing by Ryu Murakami. It's about a married man with a baby who fantasizes about killing it. He goes to a hotel to try and murder a prostitute instead to satisfy this urge to kill, but finds out that the prostitute is, well, just about as fucked up as he is and his night turns into a sadistic game of cat and mouse what? and the i don't remember the actor's names but the prostitute is played by the girl who plays alice in tim burton's alice in wonderland oh mia what's a house guy i don't know how to say her last name but that's like a 
a big fail on us since we're both Polish. We should, it's totally, yeah. <laughs> we should totally know how to say her name. Yes, that person. Okay. Um, oh, she's a good actress. That's too bad. She is. And I mean, no, the like the acting in this movie is fine. Um, the Why did you say that's too bad? I haven't even said if I liked it or not. <laughs> Um, and then the, um, the, the main guy is played by, he's the guy that plays, um, Allison Williams, um, boyfriend in, in the TV show Girls. Charlie? Charlie, yes. I don't know the actor's real name, but I, okay, I can picture him. Christopher Abbott. Yes. And And, and Mia Wasikowska. Thank you. Wasikowska? I'm, that might be right. Sure. All right, we'll go with that. But yeah, he's adorable and she's a good actress. So let's talk about this movie. Yeah, let's get into it. So this movie to me just tried to be a lot of different things. Immediately I saw that there was influences from Argento um, and also Tarantino. Uh, The movie actually does use music from Goblin that does the music for most of Dario Argento's films. Uh, it also reminded me kind of of a more fucked up version of the movie Secretary, oh. which is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. The apartment where the the prostitute, um, whose name is Jackie in the movie, looks almost exactly like Dorothy Valance's apartment in Blue Velvet. Weird. So obviously this director, I think, was also heavily influenced by David Lynch. The main character, uh, Reed, played by Christopher Abbott, he also has a blue rose tattoo on his arm, which I'm not sure if he has that in real life. I tried to find photos of him. I was like Googling like Christopher Abbott tattoos. Yeah, I'll bet you were. (laughs) I was Googling Christopher Abbott penis. (laughs) Although one of the search search suggestions from Google was tattoos, so then she clicked on that. (laughs) But... I couldn't find any photos of him in real life with a blue rose tattoo on his arm. Or his penis. Or I couldn't find any photos of his penis e- either. So if you have photos of Christopher Abbott's penis, please email them to us at oh my God. horsetalkhorror at gmail.com. With all due respect to that poor gentleman. Spencer is like crying. He's laughing. I'm so laughing at you. <laughs> He, he does not care if you send dick pics to his wife. <laughs> Although we are not encouraging random dick pics. No, only <laughs> Christopher Abbott. Or we'll, we'll let you know whose dicks we want. <laughs> Is that going to be a whole other episode where you just list all the different <laughs> characters? Yes. Where do we go? We can make a list. Yes. That's in 2020. That's our... Coming in 2020. The, <laughs> no the pun, dick, in, the dick no show. pun intended. <laughs> Coming oh, in 2020. Yeah. No pun intended. All right, let's get back Again, on track keeping here. it classy here at Horse Talk Horror. <laughs> Anywho. So back to the movie. So I have no idea if he really has a blue rose tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. That was the point. I don't know how we got to dicks, but we, I have no idea if this was something that the director was like, let's put this on your arm. Once again, huh. another like shout out yeah. to David Lynch. Twin and pretty Peaks, obvious one, too. Like, whatever. Yeah. So, where the fuck was I? (laughs) All right. Anyways, the character development in this movie falls short for me. There's lots of stylistic choices that the director made for the movie that are visually appealing, but really don't add anything to the story for me. Overall, the storyline is just kind of lacking in substance and feels kind of rushed and incomplete. I did like the very ending, like literally like the last two or three minutes of the movie mm. I enjoyed and I like how it's just ambiguous enough, but also hints at a possible new romance between these two main characters. Okay. So I don't know if I would recommend this movie because it's not great, but there's there's enough in it, I think, to to watch and just kind of appreciate certain aspects of the film you don't have to love the movie but uh yeah just watch it and I guess decide for yourself because okay it's kind of one of those movies where a lot of the reviews were like people either loved it or hated it yeah it sounds like that yeah so yeah all right 
Well, while we're talking about Marnie from Girls, um, mm. I think we should. I want to talk about a movie I watched called The Perfection, and then Sharon actually watched it too Good because I was segue, like, Mindy. "Oh my god!" Um, this is one of the few instances where marketing for a horror film actually got it right by not giving away the good stuff in the commercials. Unfortunately, it was also a detriment to the film, in my opinion, as it presented this movie more as like another bitches be jealous and crazy kind of horror flick. Yes, Sharon? So I actually knew nothing about this film. Good. And I just, you know, saw it, like went scrolling through Netflix. Um, So I didn't watch any sort of trailer, which I went into this completely cold, which is like basically... The way that everyone should watch this. Yep. We don't want to say too much about this film because you should just go in cold if you know nothing about this. Yeah, I had a hard time figuring out how to even talk about this. The short version is the is basically that um, this is what Netflix says about this movie. Uh, when troubled musical prodigy Charlotte, played by Allison Williams, seeks out Elizabeth, playing by Logan Browning, who I've never seen in anything before, but she was awesome. Um, who is the new star pupil of her former school, the encounter sends both musicians down a sinister path with shocking consequences. Um, There's definitely social commentary happening here. Uh, There's also a lot of fun gore, a few limbs that get lost along the way, and amazing performances by Williams and Browning, as I just said. Um, So don't be discouraged by the description or the previews. This one was a shocker actually as I felt like I got way more than I was expecting and I honestly can't really recommend it enough and that's putting it really lightly because I could talk about this for like hours I would just say it's a psychological horror movie involving cellist I think that's all you really need to know it's great and I really yeah, yeah I really liked it so fucking watch it short version fucking watch it <laughs> <laughs> so here's um a couple quickies that we've discussed in previous episodes so we're not going to get into them um, too much now but they're 2019 movies so we're going to bring them up in case you didn't hear us talk about them in our previous episodes so there's haunt um and this description comes straight from imdb on halloween a group of friends encounter an extreme haunted house that promises to feed on their darkest fears the night turns deadly as they come to the horrifying realization that some nightmares are real I thought it was a really good independent film, especially since I wasn't expecting much from it. Uh, The acting was all good. The production level on the movie was actually really good considering it is uh, an independent film. The sets were all really well done and I would uh, totally recommend it and watch it again. And I honestly would not be surprised if they make a few sequels. Yeah, I actually had to watch this twice um, because I fell asleep the first time not because of the movie's quality but just because i was tired because she was drunk um but yeah i agree i thought it was a really interesting premise um and the characters were all kind of like specific like we had a definite there's a definite like you know um what's the phrase the uh last girl or whatever final girl final girl (laughs) the final girl but like yeah i thought it was it was creepy and weird, and what loses me in movies, and I know Sharon's always like, well, this is what horror movies do, but when characters repeatedly do make really stupid decisions, and I felt like this movie, like, I can, I was with them, and even the stupid suggestions and decisions, there was at least somebody to be like, no way, blah, blah, blah. So, like, it was, I don't want to say believable, but, like, I, I could get into it right away, and I was on board from the beginning, and it was, yeah, and it was creepy, and like yeah that I don't know I'm assuming it was just filmed in one big warehouse because like I don't know how they would make all those sets but yeah like the production value was surprisingly really high looking especially for a small budget so yeah and yeah I, impressive I, I kind of hope they do make a sequel because it could be, I would watch this franchise it might be bigger and better yeah for sure next we have Annabelle comes home which I believe I discussed in our very first episode definitely better than the original because I thought the original was horrible there was a couple good jump scares and then I wrote why was there a werewolf (laughs) (laughs) it's better than the original I would just recommend it if you're looking for something (laughs) wow if you want to watch something is better than watching nothing (laughs) that that that's a burn right there that's a pretty good burn i think james wan should hire me to write 
uh, publicity for his movies. <laughs> like those true life movie posters or trailers <laughs> or whatever. And then um, last movie that we've previously discussed uh, from 2019, Three from Hell. Yep. I think we talked about this in one of our October episodes. And I'm such a huge fan of the first two movies. And I love Rob Zombie to death. So. Do you? I didn't know that. <laughs> it's a secret. Um, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It was my least favorite of the three. Mm. But I was glad to see Baby and Otis back on the big screen one last time. And I really liked how they made Baby basically steal the show. And she yes. was a total badass. Plus, Props to Dee Wallace for her small role. That was awesome. What up? And we had no idea that it was her until after the movie. Yeah. I, uh, Sherry Moon Zombie, right? That's her name? Yeah. Uh, she posted a picture on Instagram of her and Dee Wallace with her arm around her. And, like, they're both making silly faces. And that's how I was, like, I, like, texted Sherry. And I was, like, remember how we saw in the credits that Dee Wallace was in this? Holy shit. And I, like, sent her the picture because we totally didn't recognize her. But clearly they had fun offset from what I've seen, like, seeing their posts on Instagram. I personally... I'm not as big of a Rob Zombie fan per se as Sharon is, but I do appreciate what he does because he has a point of view. He, he, you know, is at least bringing something to the table, which I feel like a lot of new, new horror movies just don't bother. So I appreciate him in general, but I thought this was fun. I mean, as much fun as like crazy killers going on a rampage can be, but his stuff's so over the top that I feel like, you know, right away, like. He just does what he wants. You don't take it seriously, it. but you do. But like it, I just thought it was a fun watch. I had a great time watching it. So yes, if you, especially if you like those movies, for sure see this one. But I'm not a super fan, and I enjoyed it too. So next, I'm just gonna get this movie out of the way. Um, I saw this. Mindy did not. Ma. And this was another Sharon took one for the team. Thank you very much. <laughs> Honestly, this movie I will have to say is not as bad as I anticipated it was going to be. Um, cause I was just expecting it to be dreadful. It kind of reminded me of the documentary mommy dead and dearest combined <laughs> with fatal attraction. <laughs> Shut up. That's awesome. Now I want to see it. Honestly, I, I, I'm not going to tell you not to watch it because I kind <laughs> of enjoyed it. It wasn't great. It was almost exactly what I anticipated it to be, okay. but just slightly better better okay because with all the negative reviews like i just expected it to be total horseshit when i saw the trailer i just thought octavia spencer needed a good paycheck extra paycheck you're very concerned with a lot of actors and actresses paycheck <laughs> well when you see ta- such good talent making crappy <laughs> movies you're like well there's got to be a reason for it i'm I, assuming it's a paycheck well you know i don't think any of these actors or actresses are in risk of like you know being like hand to mouth. <laughs> well, Amy Simitz, Simitz, I always say it wrong, but she was the mom in the New Pit Cemetery. Yeah, She's yeah. an independent actress mostly, and she gets steady work, but like, yeah, yeah. But yeah John, John Lithgow and Octavia he was just, Spencer. He was just having fun. Sometimes it's just fun to make a fucking horror movie. Yeah, I, I think. Okay. I agree. And I could see that. But also, I think this is a, a PSA about the dangers of social media. And oh, boy. It's not great, but it is definitely not as bad as the reviews say it is. So I would recommend it if you're looking for something kind of fun and you want to see Octavia Spencer be, be scary, be a fucking psycho bitch. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what are we going to talk about next? Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about In the Tall Grass. Okay. Uh, An- another Stephen. God, Stephen King is. He's he's killing it. This is actually based on a novella by Stephen King and his son, Joe Hill, um, who I've started reading recently for the first time. And oh, my God, I love him. Um, overall, I enjoyed this, but I'm a sucker for like weird time loop shit like this. So uh, this is kind of right up my alley. Six people uh, find themselves stuck in a never ending, almost literally, field of crazy tall grass and are never able to find a way out or once separated, find each other. Um, without giving too much away, the overall concept is not new, but it's engaging regardless. And it, that's a testament due largely in part to decent writing, acting, and a simple but effectively executed claustrophobic concept, I think. It's not super long. It honestly could have gotten away with being a short film. Um, and I stopped counting how many times I thought, this would make a good Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> Visually, the director... Uh, who's done a bunch of 
great stuff if you look at his IMDb credits. Uh, he was clearly inspired by The Twilight Zone, um, and I think a little bit by Lost, the, the show Lost. Um, I haven't read this novella, so I don't know how much is taken from the novel, but we've got the two characters who open the movie, uh, a field that seems to mess with perception, then other people already in the field who seem nice enough, but can we trust them? That's all very losty. At times, the grass field looked almost jungle-like, which added to the disorientation. Uh, there were weird time fluctuations, and there actually was, no joke, a big black rock, which is something that features into Lost. Uh, and that rock may or may not have been real, or may or may not have been good or bad, whatever, but it's an old rock. Uh, this is all very reminiscent, is my point. Oddly, um, even one of the closing shots mirrors almost to a T the opening and closing shots of the show Lost and its finale. Uh, it just struck me as odd, as it seemed a little spot on. So maybe the director just really likes Lost. I don't know. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> despite everything I've mentioned, it was way more enjoyable and engaging than Lost. Yes, I'm still bitter about that ending because I sat through the whole show. That I've never seen a single episode of Lost. (laughs) There is one episode that's my favorite hour of television ever, but that's about it. But that I'm gonna I'm not that's for another day. Um, This this movie, uh, unlike Lost, has an overall creepy feel to it and some pretty intense scary moments. Uh, Despite using a very familiar trope as its basic premise, I enjoyed this ending. I won't say why because spoilers, but I will say that it was not what I expected based on how stories like this one usually go. So. Kudos to them for that. That's all I'll say. Uh, two observations. Patrick Wilson singing Midnight Special is worth the price of a Netflix s- subscription alone. And we will accept pictures of his penis. Yes, for sure. Also, there's a church that looks almost exactly like the church in the first season of West Westworld that was at the center of the maze. Maybe it's just like a generic rundown church movie set piece that like is in Hollywood and just gets used. But I just thought that was funny because I was like, find the maze. I don't know. Anyway, I did like it though. I recommend it. Patrick Wilson, end of story. All right. So I'm going to talk about the haunting of Sharon Tate. Since Again, I- thank you for taking one for the team. <laughs> so this movie has like the lowest rating of all the movies that we've watched. I think it only had like a 2.9 on imdb and it was like a lead balloon when it got released oh my god there's so much hate surrounding this movie but since i was named after sharon tate are you serious i really wanted to well that's why i'm just telling people (laughs) because i asked my mom at thanksgiving i was like you named me after sharon tate right and she looked at me like i was fucking nuts she's like why would i name you after an actress that was murdered <laughs> and i was like why wouldn't you <laughs> she's very pretty she was like i named you after the song sherry baby i'm like but my name's not sherry and you never called me sherry growing <laughs> up i'm like how does that make fucking sense so anyways i think it's a better story to tell people i was named after sharon tate so since Fair i was enough. named after the actress sharon tate <laughs> I wanted to watch this movie. So in this movie, Sharon Tate is played by Hilary Duff, who honestly, I don't know if I've ever seen a Hilary Duff movie or TV show. I don't think I've ever seen her act before. Mm. And she's actually pretty good. I'm not going to fucking lie. So, all right, here we go. So (laughs) Yeah. In this version of the days before her murder, she becomes, Sharon Tate becomes plagued by dreams and visions of her death and the death of her friends during approximately like the last three days of her life. She talks a lot throughout the movie about fate during the movie with her friends. And this is actually an exact quote. She says, how the simplest of choices can infect the entire outcomes of our lives. Is life just some random series of coincidences or is there some greater plan or higher purpose for us all? Do you ever think about how the smallest decisions can change the course of everything? So basically during this time, they're staying at um, her house, her and her friends and Roman Polanski, he's off in Europe making another movie. Uh, So Manson and his family keep showing up at the house. They're leaving packages of recordings of Manson's music. 
uh, which probably did not happen. I was just going to say. During that time, but was inspired by the fact that Manson, yeah. who actually wanted to be a rock star, and he's the one that ordered the murders of Tate and the four others, because the previous owner of that house was Terry Melcher, who was a music producer, and he refused to make a record with Manson. So I think Manson wanted revenge, and mm. that's why he ordered the murders. Yeah, I, I was under the impression that he, Manson was ordering the murders thinking that the producers still live there. That's kind of what I thought. And he yeah. was living there with Candace Bergen and then they moved out and then Roman Polanski right. and Sharon Tate bought the house, which I don't really know for sure exactly what was going on in Manson's <laughs> head I don't think during, anyone during really that does. time. Because yeah. obviously... You know, when they showed up at the house, it was not Terry Melcher and Candace Bergen. And I'm sure the family knew what they looked like and decided to kill all these people anyways. So who knows? So basically, in this movie, Manson shows up at Sharon Tate's house uh, three days before she's murdered. And he's actually looking for Terry Melcher in the movie. So you could be right. Uh, He's obviously not there. They say, you know, he's not there. The dialogue in the movie is pretty weak. There is a ton of criticism around this movie being very exploitative of the murders. Mm -hmm. Sharon Tate's own sister has come out saying that Sharon has never had any visions of her and Jay Sebring, Mm. who is one of her friends Mm -hmm. um, that was murdered that night. Because in the movie, she was telling a reporter that she was having uh, visions of them having their throats cut. Whoa. Um, The director of this movie... He basically defended the film by saying this movie gives the victims a chance to fight back against their attackers, which is something they weren't able to do in real life. And that was his main purpose of this film. But they also do show like pretty violent murders of Tate and all of her friends in this movie, which, yes, is exploitative. And yeah, that was what I was going to ask is, do they show like actually show the murders happening? And if they do graphically, I'm out completely. They they do. It's it's not I wouldn't say it's super graphic when they show it. It takes place in Sharon Tate's dream. Oh, so they don't actually show like the attack happened for real. I mean, well, they show it for real, but it's a dream. So they're showing all of them being murdered. Weird. But it's a dream sequence. It's one of those things that, like, I kind of want to watch this, but I don't because I feel like it is really disrespectful and gross. But at the same time, I'm, like, curious because I'm like, why would they make a movie with Hilary Duff about Sharon Tate? You know, it's it's not a great movie, although <laughs> I'm kind of curious to see what your opinion of the movie would be it's on amazon maybe i'll have a few beers and watch it yeah i i'm honestly really curious to see what you would think of it and i mean is it any more exploitative of any of the other movies that have been made about famous serial killers and there's like my friend Dahmer and there's movies about John Gacy and there's movies about Ted Bundy i haven't seen a lot of those movies though to be honest well, I mean, you saw the new Ted Bundy movie with Zac Efron. Yeah, and but that wasn't. They didn't show anything. No, honestly, they didn't show any of. I the, actually the murders and I liked was that one. Eh, it was okay. It, the ending, I, I the ending caught me on that one. Technically, that was 2019. I guess we can talk about that. Like mention oh, it. Oh yeah. I mean, but no, I, I that movie I was like weirded out by it because I was like, what are they? Where are they going with this until the ending? And then I was in. I was in. But yeah, I, just, I, I guess, see your point. Like. But I I haven't seen those other movies. I guess my main point is, I mean, yes, the dialogue's weak. It's not a great movie. But 2.9 just seems very, very low. And people, I mean, they're fucking pissed about this movie. I don't really see how this movie is any worse than any other, like, horror slasher movie. I mean, so many of those movies, you could say, are exploitative against women in general. Or exploitative against any group of people, you know, depending on what yeah. movie you're watching. That's a good portion of the movies that I watched on this list that were ha- that main theme, actually. Yeah. And but- because this is, I mean, it is a, a true story. I-, I can I can see her family being upset. And they have every right to be uh, upset that this is being brought into the spotlight. But as the director was saying, because they do take revenge on the killers. Okay. And you'll see that in the movie. Okay. And I don't know. I would say I would recommend watching it 
just for the fact that it is such a controversial movie. You know, just watch it and make up your own opinion on it. Okay. Uh, So really quick, um, we've actually mentioned this on previous episodes, um, but we just, since we're doing our year-end roundup, we have to mention The Dead Don't Die, uh, the zombie movie by Jim Jarmusch. It was in our, uh, we talked about this actually specifically in our October Halloween movie roundup episodes. Uh, So we're not going to deep dive. Um, If you like Jim Jarmusch, this is his version of a zombie movie. Um, it's, it's paced as his films kind of normally are. Uh, it's very, very much his social commentary on how we are all zombies because of consumerism and social media, which I, again, found a little way too heavy-handed. I didn't expect that coming from him, but so be it. It definitely was enjoyable. If you're expecting a movie like Zombieland or Shaun of the Dead, you'll be disappointed If you're a Jaramouche fan, I think you'll dig it. All right. So next, here's another uh, creature movie. It's 47 Meters Down Uncaged. I did not see the 2017 47 Meters Down movie, but it's one of those movies where you do not need to watch the first (laughs) one to uh, watch the second one. Basically, 14 girls living in Mexico decided to explore a submerged Mayan city off off the ocean against their better judgment. They soon discover they're not alone in the underwater cave when they see a giant shark. The entrance to their cave becomes blocked. Their air supply is steadily dwindling and blind cave sharks are stalking them for their next meals. The girls must navigate the underwater labyrinth of claustrophobia-inducing tunnels and caves in search of another way out or become lunch. Uh, So I thought the movie was fun. It did definitely make me feel a bit claustrophobic i like that the main girl was pretty badass and knew how to handle herself in this situation her dad is played by john corbett from sex in the city go team aiden (laughs) (laughs) her dad is he's kind of like an underwater archaeologist and goes on cave diving expeditions all the time and used to take her with him of course so yeah obviously so that's how her character becomes pretty knowledgeable about like scuba diving and sharks and such and um, is able to help like save her friends or I guess, well, I don't know. She saves all of them. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, I mean, if you want to get very nitpicky, there are scenes where they're like all talking to each other the whole time, even though their ears are exposed and I'm not sure how they were able to, to hear each other underwater. <laughs> um, plus the sharks were able to hear and they like were making so much noise screaming the whole time. <laughs> that I don't know how they didn't get eaten within like the first few minutes of the movie. <laughs> but anyways, it wasn't anything that we haven't seen before, but I actually enjoyed it well enough to ignore the major plot holes and ignore the science behind (laughs) what would make the whole movie completely implausible uh, because sometimes you have to do that with horror movies Mm -hmm. so yeah I kind of liked it okay I'm a little embarrassed to say whatever (laughs) all right so this is a movie uh, we both saw um, and a movie that neither neither of us had ever heard of until like maybe like two minutes before we put it on it's called little monsters and it is not the 1989 <laughs> movie with fred savage and howie mandel and it's definitely not a remake <laughs> of that movie either but it's highly recommended yes it the, is the a, original yes. one yes okay i honestly i never saw the original well the other one it's not this well, isn't a remake. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah i never saw the other little monsters yeah definitely not a remake um so this um is an australian movie and it stars what is becoming one of me and Mindy's favorite actresses, Hell yeah. Lupita Nyong'o, who plays a kindergarten teacher named Miss Caroline, who takes her kindergarten class on a field trip to a farm to see a famous children's television performer named Teddy McGiggle <laughs> and one of her students named Felix, who's, yes, an adorable little boy with an Australian accent. Yep. And um, he has an uncle named Dave, who's a washed-up musician just kind of a deadbeat who just broke up with his girlfriend. And Dave decides to chaperone the field trip with uh, Miss Caroline because he basically just wants to get in her pants. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is Miss Caroline and Dave must protect all the young kids from a sudden outbreak of zombies that attack the farm (laughs) during their field trip. Does this sound Mm -hmm. absolutely ridiculous? Well, it is, but it's also really fucking funny. It's gory. It's violent. 
it's raunchy. And yes, there's a bunch of adorable kindergartners running around (laughs) with Australian accents. And they all kind of think this whole thing is a game. So it's kind of like that movie Life is Beautiful, the movie about uh, the Jewish librarian and his young son who become victims of the Holocaust. And he uses his humor and imagination to make it all seem like a game to protect his son from the dangers of being in a death camp. So it's like that, but with zombies. (laughs) (laughs) And not as serious and not as serious and not as sad yeah but it's an absolutely creative and silly take on a zombie movie and i love that lupita nyong'o can win an oscar for 12 years a slave but still make movies like this she's already proved she can do horror extremely well in us she's a total fucking badass in this movie there's a ton of negative reviews where people were just hating this movie saying that they shut it off after like the first 10 or 20 minutes and like fuck you to those people I just don't think they understood what this movie was trying to be mm-hmm. and yes there's like a bunch of cliches in this movie but when there's so many movies like Pet Cemetery and Black Christmas being remade mm-hmm. I think this movie is just really refreshing and fun I so. would agree we actually went to see the remake of Black Christmas which we'll comment on later but we after we saw it we um Sharon wanted to put on a movie gave us some options asked me what I wanted to watch I told her to surprise me so she put this on and well what Sharon just said basically uh this movie this movie rules it's not really too scary if at all really but it had it's full of heart laughs limbs flying aussie tiny kids talking <laughs> cute and yes lupita she is the shit bomb diggity in every way she is a damn national treasure and i dare anyone to watch this movie without cracking a smile or full out laughing as an aussie kindergartner innocently explains what a douche is to his fellow kindergartner based on his uncle's crude earlier description. I dare you not to smile, honestly, because it's impossible. Two zombie thumbs way, way up for this one. This movie was pure joy, I felt like. I loved it. The three of us sat there basically like laughing our asses off the entire time. So good. So good. And like, so it was a creative take on the zombie movies that we hadn't really seen anything like that before. And yeah, I'd, yeah, I just, I can't say enough. Yeah, I like that it gave like a very real situation of, because I, I don't feel like you've seen zombie movies where kids are involved as much. Not as much. Uh, and it's like, okay, yeah, there are going, there. this is a real life situation. If the zombie apocalypse were ever to happen, this would happen. And how are these uh, people going to deal with it? And it was very well done. And yeah, Lupita just kicked fucking ass all over the place i've already called her for my team if the zombie or when the zombie apocalypse happens so (laughs) that's all i'm saying well since you mentioned the remake of black christmas (laughs) let's do it let's just talk about it because oh my god i don't think i've ever ever heard such backlash towards a fucking movie remake so let's just start with what this even has in common with the original movie which is not that much yeah um, basically, it's that there's a group of female students that are stalked by a stranger or possibly strangers. They're sorority um, sisters. Sorority sisters, yeah. Stalked by a stranger during their Christmas break. And one by one, they go missing and are murdered. I think there might. I think the lead character's name is Jess. No. No, so there's not even that. Okay. So, anyways, there's a couple of callbacks to the original movie. Um, in the um, beginning of this movie, there is a shot of a glass unicorn, uh, which is a callback to probably the most famous death scene from the original Black Christmas. One of the best death scenes ever made. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, also, the cat in this movie is named Claudette. And in the original, the cat was named Claude. I like that they stuck to the gender identifying of the cat. Yes. They respected well, how the cat was. This movie is very, very heavy handed when it comes to. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. Comes to that stuff. Um, but basically, that's pretty much all these two movies have in common. And I really don't understand why this movie was called Black Christmas and was yes. supposed to be a remake. It should have just had a completely different title. And I, I really just wonder if if it was called something else, if it would have had so much of a backlash. So basically the overlying main theme in this movie is essentially based on the hashtag Me Too movement with the main protagonist, Riley, played by Imogene Poots, um, who is drugged and raped 
three years earlier by a frat boy and that same boy returned to campus for a pledge initiation and coincidentally Riley and her sorority sisters start receiving strange and threatening texts around that same time which is I guess the modern day version of obscene phone calls that the sorority sisters receive in the original movie yeah I mean yeah technology and uh the According to IMDb, the director of this movie is Sophia Tikal. I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name right, but she co-wrote the script with April Wolf. Um, they worked extensively to make this vision of Black Christmas as feminist as they could. Well. Uh, and they definitely succeeded. <laughs> um, they stated in an interview, uh, quote, I wanted to make a movie where instead of feeling objectified or watched from a distance, the audience felt seen. Uh, and besides rape and toxic masculinity, the story also deals with racism. One of the other main characters of this movie starts a petition or this actually took place in the past. We don't see this, but they talk about it. She started a petition to have the college remove a bust of the beloved but racist founder of the college. So things that I liked about the movie are I probably my favorite scene was there was a remake of the song up on the rooftop, but, but, but yes. the Christmas song. So this was actually, I found this out later. Um, oh. It was written by Ricky Lindholm of Garfunkel Notes. That makes sense. And the the song that they sing in the movie is called Up in the Frat House. And it basically calls out rape culture. Which I agree. That was like a really, that was a great moment. That was an awesome scene. I thought yeah. that was the best scene and in the And clever. Movie. And yeah, I would agree. And it happens like right at the beginning. So if you want to save time. <laughs> So I watch the opening and shut it off. <laughs> or I think you just go on uh, YouTube and, and find that song. Oh, yeah, probably. Um, yeah, that was clever. And I mean, I, now I'm like, okay, that makes sense that it was written by her. All right. So the movie, I thought, started out good. Um, the opening scene of the movie, which, which does not give anything away, but it was a totally realistic portrayal of what women go through constantly when they're walking alone or even in a group. Um, they're constantly checking their surroundings. So the movie starts with uh, a woman walking by herself. Uh, a strange man starts walking behind her. She starts like quickening her pace. She puts her keys between the knuckles of her fingers to defend herself if she needs to. And this is stuff that we all do now as women mm-hmm. and men too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, thanks to watching shows like Forensic Files and listening to podcasts like My Favorite Murder this is basically what we do now to protect ourselves. And I appreciated these aspects of the movie. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And I think most of the hate towards this movie comes from it being just really, really heavy handed dealing with the issues of feminism. And also a lot of people seem to view this movie as a man hater movie, which I do not think this is a man hater movie. I think it takes relevant issues that are in society today and puts those topics into a horror movie and how many movies exist about half-naked women in sorority houses getting brutally murdered and acting like airheaded nymphomaniacs or women being gang raped or killed by the dozens in like slasher flicks and we enjoy these movies and these movies keep getting right. made and, and i just want to say the 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 day before we saw this i think i was at uh-huh. trader joe's and somebody's like oh you know what are you gonna do this weekend and i was like oh, i think we're gonna go see black christmas it's a remake of a movie a horror movie about girls in a sorority house and when i left the store i was like oh my god i probably sound like such a <laughs> misogynist or something talking about i want to go see this movie about sorority girls and then I was like that is not what I meant at all like it Black Christmas the original is actually a good movie and I felt really terrible because yes there's a lot of movies like that that are just completely gross and like yeah misogynistic and it's terrible and yes and the original does tackle these feminist issues it does it more subtly and effectively and effectively i would argue and we're not even going to get into that now because right we've we've talked about that in past episodes but it does but i i just really think it's a double standard that all these other horror movies victimize women and we all just accept it as well this is just what horror movies are and then one horror movie written by women comes out calling out men white men in particular for shit that really happens and according to womenshealth.gov one in five women in college actually experience 
a sexual assault. Yeah. And suddenly this movie is like the worst piece of trash ever and men are the true victims here because it's like women hating on men and okay i've not heard that i actually haven't paid attention to any of the criticisms at all oh my god it's hard not to (laughs) not heard that argument which that's total bullshit um the issue that i had with it mainly is that i mean it's feminist overkill almost because I enjoyed mm-hmm, that the fact that the women were kicking ass and were not just like helpless victims and whatever but the circumstances involving the murders I guess I'll say in air quotes or whatever like is so utterly ridiculous yeah. that like it makes it hard to take it seriously which disappointed me well I yeah I'll get to that okay but that's what disapp- I, that that was my problem is that I was like this would have been good if we could have taken this more seriously but I had a hard time taking this movie seriously which was a shame yeah and I just I think that you know every single time a, a minority tries to come forward and call out inexcusable behavior towards a majority it just it should not turn into that majority attacking back against the people who are already oppressed, which I think is like a lot of the backlash of this movie is men just, you know, saying like, no, like you're attacking us now. It's like, no, people should just try and learn and understand what the underlying message of this movie is. And just in general, in life, whenever an oppressed group of people are saying, hey, see me, this is my reality, people need to listen and learn and grow. Yeah. And you just said, I didn't care for the movie either. It totally lost me when they revealed the killer's motivation and the motivation behind the murders. But I would recommend people watch it and make up their own minds and try to be a little open-minded about this movie. I mean, after all, it's just a fucking movie. So calm the fuck down, people. All right, my rant over. Well, <laughs> I would me. also argue why can't we say, well, this is a shitty movie and not... Th- this is a shitty movie that's attacking white men. Yes. That would be my my complaint about the complainers or the haters, I guess. I agree. I agree. Um, because it is... I don't. I agree that it's not a good movie. The themes were there and they could have done better, I think calling it and billing it as something different than Black Christmas but yeah I just wanted it to be a better movie because kind of like with the Ghostbusters remake if you watch that movie it's funny as fuck and those women are amazing together but the movie is terrible yeah so it's like how about we write better movies for women and make them more believable well but also wi- women if you're gonna- wrote this movie though Mindy so you can't say how about we write better movies for women when the women are writing this well mo- okay movie. so let's write movie better movies in general but then if they're bad don't attack them because it's women hating men just say well this is a shitty scary movie like in general not I just yeah but there yeah we right. go on we could spend like hours debating this but we're not gonna anyways whatever Watch the movie for yourself, make up your own mind, and try and be open-minded. That's May- that's my point. Maybe wait for Netflix, though. I don't pay like eight bucks to see it or whatever. True. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I definitely watched a lot more movies. You than, got a few more in than me. Yeah, than, definitely. Than Mindy these last uh, few weeks. So I'm just going to go through some of these kind of quickly. So uh, the next movie we're going to talk about is Eli. It's a movie about a young boy with a strange autoimmune disorder that basically makes him have to live in a bubble suit and is brought to a secluded medical facility and a large old house that's been modernized and hermetically quarantined. His parents take him there for treatment to cure him of his autoimmune disorder. He begins treatments that are performed uh, by a doctor played by Lily Taylor, who I love. And it's kind of one of the reasons that I I watched this movie, actually, is because I do really like her. So, and she usually does really good movies. So I was like, oh. Except for the haunting remake, but whatever. Let's just pretend that never happened. (laughs) Peanut gallery, I'll shut up. We all know how you feel about that movie. (laughs) Um, So tell me more about Eli, Sharon. (laughs) So basically the treatments are extremely painful and Eli starts to experience some supernatural phenomena uh, while he's going, um, or basically after his treatments, he starts experiencing these uh, supernatural uh, occurrences or is he just experiencing hallucinations hmm. which might be a side effect of his treatments huh. he starts actually becoming sicker and sicker instead of becoming healthier like uh treatments are supposed to do yeah right <laughs> <laughs> uh the supernatural experiences start increasing and he begins to uncover the truth about what's really happening to him this movie actually had 
a lot of potential, but the ending of the movie was so horrible. Oh, it really? went from being a supernatural psychological thriller and kind of ended with a uh, a Rosemary's baby type twist and there was some really bad special effects at the end of it um i wasn't really expecting too much from the movie and was hoping it would be somewhat good since lily taylor was in it but the ending was such a letdown that it really just like ruined the whole movie for me so i would not recommend eli but then again we hope you got a good paycheck lily taylor yeah, I'm not worried about anyone's fucking paycheck. You know whose paycheck I'm worried about? I'm worried about my paycheck. <laughs> Maybe you should make start making some horror movies. Fuck all the actors. <laughs> Honestly, like, thank you for entertaining us. But also, you make way more fucking money than we do. Even probably the independent actors and actresses. So Just saying. Just keeping on with the whole, like, creepy kid theme. Mm. Like I said, I, I watched a lot of these creepy kid movies. I also watched The Prodigy, starring Taylor Schilling from Orange is the New Black. Uh, she plays a mother whose young son Miles starts exhibiting some rather s- disturbing behavior, we should say. Uh, she goes to seek help from a psychologist to get some answers about why her son is becoming increasingly violent and basically just all around creepy and frightening. <laughs> she quickly gets her answer, which actually comes like a little too easily. It doesn't. Yeah, there's not like a ton of like plot development in this movie, Okay, but it is kind of a short movie. So now she must decide what length she's willing to go through to get her son back. It was okay. It was nothing special or original. It was kind of predictable. Uh, but the little boy was actually really, really good at playing a psychopath. Okay. So I would recommend it for that. Okay. Let's just get away from creepy kids for a little bit. So the next movie is Trick, which is a low-budget slasher movie that p- takes place on the night of Halloween 2015. A uh, high school senior named Patrick, who they call Trick for short, murders Five of his friends with a knife at a Halloween party during a fun game of spin the knife, which is basically uh, just like spin the bottle, but with a knife. (laughs) He wears a two-faced pumpkin mask the night of the murders. After the murders, he's stabbed and shot several times. He falls into a freezing river and is presumed dead. But then over the next three years, massacres occur every Halloween in a different town along the river that Trick fell into. Okay. Um, But with each massacre, the murderer wears a different mask. Is Trick really dead? Are these copycat murderers? (laughs) A detective played by Omar Epps. Okay. Is trying to get Random. to the uh, Yeah, it's it's kind of funny cuz it's a it's a pretty low budget movie. Um but it actually has I mean Omar Epps he's kind of a a, a yeah. bigger a bigger name and yeah. I'm not really sure what he's done recently but he's in this movie. <laughs> but he basically tries to get to the bottom of this mystery before another massacre occurs Halloween 2019. So I really didn't have any expectations for this movie to be good, but I was kind of looking for something fun and truly needed a break from creepy kid movies. <laughs> so I was like, okay, here's a slasher movie. It has decent reviews. I'm going to watch it. Um, you can tell that it's heavily influenced by Halloween uh-huh. and also Scream. And honestly, with a bigger budget, this movie might have been pretty good. It was decent, and there's definitely room for a sequel. Uh, the acting was pretty bad for most of the characters, but there actually were a few characters who did have some um, good acting skills. Tom Atkins, who was in The Fog, and also Halloween 3 was in it, and also Jamie Kennedy. Oh my, okay, random was again. It? Yeah, so it has um, like some old school like horror movie actors in it, and Omar Epps has actually been in like a few horror movies yeah. as well. So... There was actually a really cool scene at the end of the movie that took place in an outdoor haunted maze. And I think they kind of saved a lot of their production budget Mm. (laughs) for this scene. Yeah. And it was kind of cool because all the actors in the outdoor maze all had different masks on. So you never really knew who the killer was and who the actors were in the haunted maze. So basically, I would just say uh, if you don't expect much from this movie probably like it okay 
Okay, so um, the next movie we're going to talk about, I really wanted to see and didn't get a chance to, but Sharon did get to watch it. So Sharon's going to tell us all about In Fabric. All right, so this movie, it's about a group of witches. At least I think they're witches. Uh, They run a department store, and the story follows the life of a red dress as it's passed from person to person who each meet their fatal end after wearing the dress. What? So the department store and the woman who worked there are very, very similar to the witches who run the dance academy in the original Suspiria. Mm. Beautiful set design. I will say that definitely influences from Dario Argento. Also, there's some influences from Lynch as well. It's funny because like a lot of the movies that we watch, I've seen... Um, and not just in this episode or the 2019 movies, but there's so many horror movies that just mm-hmm. are influenced by Argento and Lynch. Yeah. Anyways. Um, but yeah, there's there's one scene in the department store that has like these red curtains in the background and everything starts to become slow motion, including the music. And it's just very reminiscent of the Red Room from Twin Peaks. Cool. Also, Brienne of Tarth <laughs> is in this movie from Game of Thrones. And she plays the older girlfriend of the main character's son. And basically, she just um, gets a lot of oral sex performed on her. Sweet. So <laughs> it's a little bit of a change up from Game of Thrones for her. Uh, the first half of the movie is really just creepy and eerie and unsettling. And like I said, it's it's very reminiscent of... Argento and and Lynch so if you're into that um, I think you would really enjoy at least the first half of the movie then the mood completely changes the second half of the movie and it's almost an entirely new film it's a lot lighter uh, like the set design is not as theatrical or colorful I definitely preferred the first half of the movie much better than the second half the second half of the movie, I didn't care about any of the characters. Eventually, they do tie in the second part of the movie to the first part of the movie. Although the ending of the movie was a little hokey, it was not predictable. Hmm. So I will give it that. Uh, there was a couple good scares in the first half of the movie. I should say there was a couple good scares. And there's a shitload of creepy mannequins. Sweet. It definitely did not need to be as long as it was it was almost a two-hour movie. Actually, it might have been a little over two hours. I don't remember. And there was these two characters in the movie that were kind of like the Bobs from Office Space. <laughs> um, I think they were in there for comic relief, but actually they were like really intimidating and they kind of creeped me out. So yeah, they were like creepy Bobs <laughs> from Office Space. Um, I think a lot of the people who criticized this movie, because it... it also had a lot of hate um, on IMDb. I don't think they really liked the pace of the movie because it did move kind of slow. And also, I don't think they liked the length of the movie. It was too long. I did read some reviews criticizing one scene that involves, let's just say, a very realistic mannequin, an old man, and a witch. But I've definitely seen much worse scenes in movies Hmm. so I'm not really sure what all the fuss is about unless someone who's not really into horror put this movie on because they thought it would be like the movie The Phantom Thread (laughs) (laughs) and they if that's what they thought then they were definitely in for a shock Um, would you recommend this one I I would I honestly think it would have been better as a short film okay than like a two two plus hour movie but i i would recommend it for the first half of the movie alone okay cool that's gonna do it for all the 2019 horror movies that we have watched this year so now we are gonna give our personal top three favorite movies and our three movies that we're just gonna say just Skip it. Fucking skip it. (laughs) So I guess um, for my top three favorite horror movies of 2019, Midsummer, no surprise there. Mm -hmm. One Cut of the Dead, just because, God, a a 37-minute intro without a single edit, that's just amazing. It made it to my shutter list. I added it. I added it to the list. Put it on the list. Put it on the list. And then finally... I'm going to go Dr. Sleep 
because mm. I was really, really impressed with Mike Flanagan's creation of, of the book. I'm still dying to see it. Mindy, what are your top three favorites of 2019? Well, I would say um, Midsummer, but since you said, but again, you like no surprise. You can have the same one. Well, but I'm looking at this list and I'm kind of thinking that that's a given. So I'm going to, I'm going to go definitely with um, The Perfection because I did not see that movie coming and it was so much better than I expected in so many ways. I'm going to say The Hole in the Ground because I actually really, I thought it was creepy as fuck. Like from the beginning, I loved it. I really recommend it. And to counter that, I'm going to go with Us because okay. I actually really, really liked it and I've not been able to stop thinking of it. So I kind of want to watch it again, but also like don't want to because I'm like creeped out. But that's why I didn't really want to say Midsummer because my I want an honorable mention to go to Ready or Not because that was just plain old fun. <laughs> and I just I loved it. And again, wait, in. wasn't that just four movies? No, <laughs> Us, Hole in the Ground. Oh, no, shoot, it was. Okay, so but that was honorable mention was to Ready or Not. So okay. Technically, that's not. So my three are Hole in the Ground, Us, and The Perfection. Okay, cool. With, with special props to Ready or Not. Okay, so now that we've given you our top three recommendations, here are the bottom three, I guess you'd say. <laughs> um, in my opinion, uh, the horror movies I enjoyed the least of 2019, definitely Pet, the Pet Cemetery remake. Uh, sometimes Dead really is better. Black Christmas remake, sorry guys, but you could do better too. We all can. Let's work on it as a society, shall we? Uh, and lastly, tone deaf, because it was exactly that. <laughs> all right. My bottom three movies would have to be Pet Cemetery as well. <laughs> I'm not going to say Black Christmas just because, well, one, you said it. Also, I didn't hate it as much as you did and also i i think it's kind of i kind of like that there's so much controversy surrounding it that i i just recommend people watch it just to make up their own opinions so instead i'm gonna go with the haunting of sharon tate which also has a lot of controversy surrounding it but i think the dialogue in this movie was just so horrible and yeah despite the controversy there's other things to dislike about it <laughs> other than the fact that it's exploitative. Um, and also girl on the third floor because CM Punk cannot act. And also what's with all the cum? <laughs> <laughs> so can I, can I add in my few thoughts? Sure. Am, am I an honorary whore? Yes, if you, you are. If you must. You're not um, honorary, Spencer. You are a whore. Oh, you are a yeah. whore. Uh, I just want to throw in as another option for a top three is Little Monsters. Because oh, for sure. I, honorary mention for sure. For sure. I fucking love that movie. All right. So that is going to do it. That is our uh, horror round, movie wrap up. Horror movie wrap up for 2019. Thank you all so much for listening. Absolutely. We thought we'd like literally have our friends like cheating and writing reviews for us on iTunes and we were surprised that like we're getting messages and reviews and stuff written on like Instagram and and stuff like that that are from people we don't actually know which is (laughs) awesome so we love you guys thank you and so smart and attractive our audience is (laughs) at least from their Instagram pictures I don't know I'm just saying you guys are awesome and we're appreciative we're very appreciative obviously thank you guys so much for sticking with us and uh, thank you sexy motherfuckers that's right (laughs) but also um yeah and if you if you do listen to our show and you like our show please go on itunes and what any other uh your platform of choice yeah podcast and please leave uh positive reviews or ratings for us if you do enjoy us because that helps us become more uh, seen in the public and helps you know our audience grow and helps our show grow and if you don't like our show tell someone that you don't like to listen because it's a (laughs) win-win that way really I like that, Mindy. <laughs> it's a good way to think about it. I actually stole that from a theater company I used to work for who will rena- remain nameless, but it's still a good plan. If you want to punish someone, <laughs> there you go. And force them to listen to us because you hate us so much. And you hate them. <laughs> Honestly, it's a win win. But for real, though, you guys, thank you for being aw- an awesome audience. And 
please stay tuned because we'll be back in 2020. And we have we have a lot of fun things coming up. Um, yeah, we do. We have um, an episode that we've already recorded that will be airing shortly with a, a former paranormal investigator. We are supposed to be interviewing a team of all-female paranormal investigators. We have some local urban myth things coming up. Yeah. I don't want to say too much. We don't want to give too much away, Sharon. We don't want to give too much away. But also, we want to announce things so people listen and tell their friends. We also have been talking about possibly doing maybe some live shows because um, if you've heard our trivia episodes you know that Mindy and I enjoy doing trivia and we also enjoy drinking beer (laughs) so if you live in the Chicagoland area we are thinking about possibly going out and doing trivia episodes or something and doing some live podcasts at some local bars or restaurants so watch the social medias and all that kind of stuff to see what's happening but we'll try and keep you guys informed as much as we are absolutely but once again, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Absolutely. For all the support you've given us and helping our, our little show grow. And I can't wait to see where this goes in 2020. And I hope all of you guys have a great year as well. Yes. I hope your year end wrap up is awesome and wonderful. And uh, stick with us for 2020 because we'll definitely be back. And as always, thanks, thanks for, for getting, getting creepy with us. With us.